Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our panel, which includes Jorna Taylor. Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna. That's me. Good morning. It's good to have you. And Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Uh, good morning, everyone. So last week, we spent a little bit of time talking about the Republican convention. And so, of course, this week, it's uh, time to talk about the Democratic convention. So we will do that. In addition, we're going to have uh, Mary Butari on from the Center for Media and Democracy to talk a little bit about um, some of the characters and dark money behind the John Chisholm uh, race here in Milwaukee County for district attorney. We have to talk about Trump, Putin, and his call for the Russians to insert themselves in uh, our elections, so that must be discussed. We'll spend a little bit of time also talking about the transportation budget here in the state, and it's showing a little fissure in the Republicans, but uh, it also shows a little more. We'll talk more about that later. So with that, we need to talk about the Democratic Convention. Jorna, I know um, you are a solid Democratic Party activist. Uh, probably uh, have been to a activist. convention no, or two. Good no, Lord, come on. No. All right. So, but I want to get your take. Right. <laughs> Obviously, um, you know this is a this is very different convention than the Republican convention. It is uh, in many ways similar in that we do have. There's obviously there's still just there's there's <laughs> there's still some uh, disunity and lack of you know there's conflict, but. Nothing like what we saw in the Republican convention, but let's get your thoughts. And I, before I actually, before I kick it to you, Jorna, do want to remind our listeners we record Thursday morning. So as of the recording, we have not had the excitement that you all witnessed last night. Uh, obviously, Hillary was speaking, but uh, Jorna, your thoughts. Um, and in full disclosure, I did not have the opportunity due to prior obligations to watch uh, President Obama give his last speech and Crazy Uncle Joe, but the face spaces tell me that it was wonderful. Um, so Matt, you mentioned from the beginning that there were some similarities and some differences. Um, I think the only similarity, because I, I watched a fair amount, because I like torturing myself, of the Republican convention, even Donald Trump's 17-hour acceptance speech, or however long that was. Um, but, I, you know, the the biggest difference to me, so the, the, the similarities, they had conventions. Um, the difference, and, and they were in and, basically and, and large, were in faceless, uh, <laughs> corporate-named arenas where... <laughs> They were Up until recently, boxes. really bad basketball teams played. But True. now... But now, um, we have actual excitement, a diversity of faces, a diversity of speakers. Uh, the podium at the Democratic Convention doesn't just look like um, me, a blonde girl with pearls on. Um, it has all sorts of folks from all across the country that are representing a whole variety of constituencies that have been working every day to make America... Um, this great place that we all live in. You know, Jordan, it's funny you mentioned that. N not only do you see the diversity in terms of folks there, just looking at the crowd and what they're wearing, like the amount of color and just... Because, <laughs> yeah. well, first of all, there's more women there, and, but the men aren't all wearing dark suits, right? Like, it's... the. Sh it, I was struck by just how much 
difference in color there is in just in terms of what everybody's wearing, right? As opposed to there's a lot more uniformity looking. It's very right. struck by that. But anyways, keep going. You know, and, and I mean, from watching it, there's just a different level of excitement that you can sense even watching it on TV than you could sense from the Republicans. I mean, listen, they got this crazy demagogue as their nominee and they're like, um, ha, we got this. Where we're like, yeah, we're, we're with her and we're going to do this and we're going to take back yeah, we're going to keep the presidency. Sorry, we're going to we're going to remain in, in the White House. And so I think that I think it's really been amazing up to this point. Um, my friends have been posting all sorts of great live streams from um, awesome artists who have been performing like The Roots and uh, a personal favorite Lizzo. And so people are out there and they're having fun. So Jorna has provided the more positive aspects. Robert, I'm going to have you come in and lead as maybe help us point out some of the other things that are going on or maybe some of the fissures or other interesting things that you're seeing at the convention. Well, I'm glad Matt explained to me the color thing. I, well, thought, <laughs> I thought that I thought Rex Priebus had decided to film the Republican <laughs> National Convention in some sort of old black and white and stereoscope or something, and that explained it. But it now I understand the color. It's visually startling when you watch it and you see the crowd, and, and you know, just in terms of, if, yeah, I've already said it. Go on, Robert. <laughs> Well, on the plus side, uh, I think there's been healthy kind of democratic dialogue, let me put it that way, at the convention. It's been very different. You see, at the Republican convention, you had Cruz being petulant and refusing to endorse uh, Trump and getting booed. You didn't really have any uprising of Cruz people. Uh, in the, it, the mere opposite Democratic convention, Bernie has been all about building bridges, and he nominated Hillary Clinton. And uh, he gave a very good speech about his work with the Clinton campaign on the on the platform. And I was on part of the platform committee of being the most progressive platform in memory. And uh, he himself got booed early on in a closed meeting because he was uh, because of how strong he was pushing uh, Hillary Clinton. So that's an interesting dynamic. Now there are some people on our side that are washing their hands and all concerned about how the the, the, the Bernie bitter enders, the part of the Bernie delegation, maybe 10%, that's very vocal, that still won't support Hillary Clinton, is somehow destroying everything and is going to uh, pitch the whole election to Trump. And I would say it's quite the opposite. I don't think it's going to do that at all. But I, what it does do is it does send a message to more establishment Democrats and to the, all the advisors around Hillary that she needs to follow through on all the commitments she made in the platform and that she cannot take for granted the base of the party. So I think in many ways this thunder from the left is a good and healthy thing and will make for a much stronger uh, general election candidate, in my personal opinion. So I think there's a, been a whole lot too much hand-wringing. And I'll say one thing about last night before we have an interaction. There's been a lot of hand-wringing by the cable news elite in particular and the, and the, and the media elite about how awful it was that there were Bernie people uh, chanting at the great Leon Panetta, <laughs> you know, our former chief of staff under Hot Bill Clinton and defense secretary and one of the one of the real you know uh senior senior people in washington has worked he said for nine presidents i had to count that back so i think that uh, gets us back to nixon i think but i might be off one uh so but here's the thing we have followed 
a far too uh, a foreign policy that is far too dependent on force. The drone war does kill lots of innocent people and create enemies. And it's a healthy thing that there are people willing to say that in the audience. So I'm not saying that uh, Liam Panetta is, is evil, has not done good things, has not served the country well, but there's a lot to talk about with the national security apparatus and over-reliance over on force. And so I think it's healthy that those differences in the Democratic Party are actually visible at the Democratic Party convention. Whereas the big, uh, the big thing at the Republican Party is probably the dispute about whether they should have coded racism or racism without the code. <laughs> well, they certainly had both. One thing I just want to say, Robert, something that you said um, that you know the, that the Clinton camp can't ignore the base. I want to take a little bit of issue with that because I think we pretend, or that we not even pretend. I think we. We are disingenuous if we say that the, quote, establishment Democrats are not also Democratic base. Um, you know, Bernie did bring in a lot of new voters to this process. Um, but, you know, I guess I would be considered part of the, quote, establishment. Um, and I have been a base Democratic voter since I cast my first vote in 1996 for President Bill Clinton. Um, so I just want us to be careful that we are not saying that the base has not been a part of the party for a very long time and that we are, you know, just catering to that we need to make sure that we are just catering to folks who are have been outside of the process until this cycle. I absolutely think it is essential that we continue to expand our base, obviously, and to bring more people in. But, um, you know, for those of us establishment Dems in the room, <laughs> we are also the base. So I want to and I and this will eventually transition us, I think, into our our topic, uh, a topic we're going to talk about later, and that's Trump's comments about Russia Look, this gets to sort of what's fundamentally at stake in this election and where this is sort of a new choice that's a little bit different than our normal left-right continuum. Um, and it's because of Trump, right? And Trump's authoritarian and downright very scary positions, right, and where he's going, right? And it all connects to what he what is blown up this week around, the, uh, around his comments around the emails. And so... You know, a lot of what Robert raised is absolutely right. And, you know, a lot of I think a lot of Democrats, even Hillary supporters, do care about what 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 Robert's suggesting. Right. And they were chanting, I, I, I believe, uh, when Panetta Pien uh, ah, was speaking, no more war. Right. I mean, we're not talking about I mean, that's that's not like they were chanting something that any one of us would fundamentally disagree. We, we do need less war. The problem is, right? But the problem is, right? Like the, the 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 choice that we face in this election is stark because of Trump, and it's not it's not about any one of his specific policies, although he's got a number of doozies. It is this authoritarian, anti-democratic streak that runs through almost all of his sort of narrative about who he is and how he's energizing and and the kind of uh, you know, to me, that's that is what's fundamentally different about this, and what makes it slightly different in terms of our normal choice of left versus right, and you know, different things that we normally um, are are concerned with. Robert, well, right, and the uh, stoking up of fear. His whole speech, I think, it was only an hour and twenty and twenty minutes. It was the it, longest yes. speech in history. Uh, yes, it was over an hour. Oh yeah. So, but uh, and I listened to all of it. Um, so, but to build up fear, and then we have to be so fearful that we need to turn to a strong man who knows what to do and will immediately make us safe, like instantly, probably about, probably like how they're making it safe in Turkey right now. I mean, seriously. Um, 
So, but here's the thing. This is an anti-establishment year because people across the political spectrum think that the system is broken. They think it's undemocratic, they think it's taken over by special interests. They think that their life prospects and the life prospects of their children are getting worse. And that's across the political spectrum. So Trump, unfortunately, comes across as he's going to shake things up, right? And the danger for Hillary is playing it safe and having her political advisors whisper in her ear that she just needs to take this kind of middle course, not rock the boat, tell people that Trump is crazy, and then you'll win. And so the reason it's really important to keep the pressure on, and I agree, Jorna, that the left is not the only base of the Democratic <laughs> Party, uh, is to show you want fundamental reform. And to do that, you need to use the platform you negotiated. Yeah. So we're talking about a $15 minimum wage. We're talking about breaking up the big banks. We're talking about a new, a new Glass-Steagall. We're talking about no more rig trade deals. Uh, we're talking about legalizing marijuana in a, in a safe way. We're talking about free college tuition, Medicare at 55. Um, we're talking about, um, as I said, a new Glass-Steagall. We're talking about uh, a single payer at the state level. We're talking about carbon pricing, which means for global warming, Carbon actually has to take into account the huge cost that uh, you have in terms of our society um, for producing it. We're talking about uh, banning fracking at the local level, so it never happens whenever a local community wants to ban it. And there's more that I'm missing. So the point is, the more she talks about those things, which she in good faith negotiated, and I can tell you because the uh, state single-payer provision I authored and got accepted by the Clinton campaign, her very top advisors were in the negotiation. So this is something that she bought into. Her very top confidants were involved in negotiating. And I think the kind of thunder from the left makes it more likely that she'll actually use it, and that makes it more likely that we beat Trump. Let's be honest, Robert. You just like the legalization of marijuana platform. That was the closest it, vote. That was 81 to 80. It came up higher on the list than carbon. I know, right? Rob, was, Robert, well, we know what you're doing this excellent. weekend. He's, keep, token. he's kept us well, from his he's kept us out of his furloughs, Jorna. It's not because I'm I'm into the drug. It's because it's one of the things that's caused mass incarceration yes. and has yes. caused literally taken a generation of young sure, people Robert. and warehouse them and destroyed their life prospects. So and caused yes. and greatly increased racial equality and created a new caste system. So that's why. But I I agree. Agree. There may be others at the table who will be excited for the, uh, in your the lower prices. Den. <laughs> in your, uh, with your lava lamps. Yes. All right. All right. I won't no. say who. Hey, Robert, that's actually a very good point, right? Like, I mean, I, I think it's it, it is important to understand that Bernie's campaign has done a an amazing job of really forcing. I would, as you described, a, a much more progressive platform. But beyond the platform, it's really forced. Uh, Hillary to address these issues, right, and and take them on, and and so, um, I I still think the amazing thing about the convention is, um, the other the other big thing is the focus on sort of more positive future. What are our aspirations? What can we do as a society? Um, Clinton, of course, is great at this, and Obama. I did listen to the entire Obama speech. What I think is important is that there is still a vision about like what our opportunities are. Robert, you talk about this all the time, that like we are wealthier than we've ever been. Mm -hmm. And um, in some ways, uh, Obama's speech is right. We've become more democratic and there are more people. Uh, we have a long way to go that have become involved in, 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 and are becoming more equal in our society. Long way to go. But that we are the part, we, he's speaking as the Democratic Party, is the party that really is pushing that, whereas the other side, right, it is all about our finest days are behind us, it's divisive, 
right? So not only that but is on display, but what I mentioned before, when we actually talk about Trump, what we're talking about in terms of who he is and what he, you know, his authoritarian streak. And we probably, because uh, this platform could be a dead letter, could be ignored, but it's the first platform that could actually matter because it was a very public deal and negotiation. Uh, probably I should do a series of blogs on elements of the platform. Maybe we should take on a different subject area in future podcasts because there's tons of stuff I didn't mention now that's in there that will stun people. And I think the Clinton campaign will do great if it will articulate those things because people want to believe that we are going to break the logjam, that we are going to we are going to fix this system. And there's been a lot of good speeches about Hillary being a change maker. They want to see a change maker, the public does, most of it, that will actually break through existing barriers and not accept the current limitations that Matt just referenced. And it's a question in the public mind whether she's the change maker who makes a broken system work a little better or whether she's a change maker that's willing to transform the system. And I think if she's the latter, she wins. I have one final comment before we talk about his orangeness's new best friend. Um, can we just so far, because we haven't seen Hillary Clinton speak yet here on the podcast, um, but so far, Michelle Obama for queen of the world. She yeah. was awesome. She dropped the mic. I yeah. love her. Yeah. Well, and it was very nice of her to provide us a sneak preview of the next of the, Republican <laughs> convention next speech. speech. Yeah. <laughs> So I and I of course plagiarized that joke from a hundred people who right. probably <laughs> used it that night. Really? Anyways, no, uh, it goes without saying. She's always amazing and uh, is inspiring. So, with that, um, we do have to talk about Trump's comments very specifically. Um, for people who have not been paying attention, essentially, Donald Trump this week it started with the tweet but he has doubled down in press conferences and continues to essentially support and uh, the notion that the Russians, and, and by this I mean the Russian government should, and he's encouraging them to hack into Hillary Clinton's private email accounts to find out, find if they can find her lost emails, right? So, you know, which is... I got to say, it's amazingly appalling that, you know, we'd have someone say this and this, there wouldn't be more just outrage. I got to say, um, there has been at least some, right? We've seen Ryan start to come out and Feingold has been very pointed. Jorna, I, I'm sure you've seen these comments. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that how can you how can you want to be the leader of the country and ask for sabotage on your own? government and your own people. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. But the good news is, is that when it becomes um, Trump Putin for president and vice president, he wants to change his logo. Oh. So that's good. Yeah, there you go. I don't know. I guess it's sort of like having some um, aging frat boy uh, with a national audience running for president. It's like the kind of gag they come Trump up with in the middle stands. of the night. Exactly. Hey, man, what if we got Ford Power to hack the Chancellor's email system? I mean, you know. Animal House 7. <laughs> but here's our problem. If he was judged by his followers, by normal standards, he wouldn't be the nominee. So all this stuff bounces off of him, at least with his current followers. Now, this may well matter a great deal with independents. Uh, but at this point, just pointing it out over and over again, how much more can he do to show he's unqualified? So I think that, unfortunately, and this is what's begun to develop as a theme in the Democratic Convention, there's got to be almost a Barry Goldwater-esque kind of theme, like the Daisy commercial, where people were afraid that this man would you know, uh, push the button. 
Uh, that And you've seen that Democratic convention. You've seen multiple speakers talking about him not being trusted with the nuclear codes. And it's hard to argue. Now, I heard uh, Thomas Cole, actually a congressman from Oklahoma, one of the more sensible Republicans, is often reached out to as what's left of moderates, right, on NPR this morning. That's, that would be Thursday morning. And they were asking him about this. And he kept saying, well, trying to change the subject, attacked Hillary. So they kept trying to nail him down. And then finally he said, well, Hillary says there's no classified information in the email, so there's no problem then. So, okay, it's okay if the Russians hack uh, the Democratic nominee's emails uh, but you're, they're the ones saying that there is classified information. Well, it's hilarious. Uh, you know, that is, of course, <laughs> what is so amazing about all this. The, all the Fuhrer, right? The reason he's even really sort of talking about this is because he wants to mention the lost emails, as if these emails are super important. But yet he's then outright telling <laughs> Russia that they should hack in and go get them. Well, isn't that what we're all worried about? But you're actually encouraging them to do it? It, it, it shows, as Russ Feingold said... He has proven that he's, one, an enormous threat to national security, and he's unfit for commander-in-chief. Um, it is also, <laughs> again, as we watch these conventions, why this is so important uh, going forward. I um, also want to mention, uh, uh, Jorna, your, your favorite guy, Paul Ryan. Um, Love him. Yeah, he even—this was even too much for him. He said that—well— uh, he threw it through one of his uh, campaign spokesmen. Essentially, he went after Trump. You know, not directly. No, because no, of course not. No. We're not actually going to mention that Donald Trump is the one. But they called Russia a global menace, uh, led by a devious thug who ought to stay out of our election. It's like if you feel that way, you might want to go tell the guy who actually he's the reason you're making this comment and is on your ticket that, right? See, like, I'm having trouble it's getting just, worked up what because the, hell? the other things Trump has said are so over the top. This just doesn't even top. Uh, I mean, like Trump's imitation of a disabled man, for example, I, I, I just, yeah, <laughs> which I, they are, to their credit, replaying multiple times on the Jumbotron at the DNC. Yeah, I hear you. I, I, find those, I find those appalling. This, to me, is like getting into an area where, like, it gets to the fundamental of what they're critiquing in terms of the idea that there's somehow a national security threat based on this, but yet but he's problem, jokingly, okay. as you said, frat boy-like encouraging them his, to hack into it as if it doesn't matter. is so mad and feels so screwed by the current system, whether that's accurate or not, it's how they feel. Uh, you know, feelings become realities, right? They're, 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 there's a reality of the feeling uh, that they don't care. And so that's the problem. So, the, But there'll be fine-grained analysis of, of swing voters and the like. We'll see what Hillary's bounce is. Uh, Trump did not get a big bounce historically, but he got a significant bounce out of his uh, convention. Uh, Nate Silver has him winning at the moment. Yeah. So, but we'll see how big, a, I think Hillary will get a bigger bounce and this will this will be still close, but Hillary will be clearly in front after her, after the convention, but we shall see. And as we know, this all plays out in states anyways. So with well, that, Nate Silver's with doing, that we are going to uh, switch gears here. We have a special guest that we want to introduce. We want to talk a little bit about the upcoming primary election. In particular, there's a, an election here in Milwaukee County that's very important. We want to spend just uh, a few minutes talking about it, and that is uh, our district attorney, John Chisholm, is up for re-election. And we have endorsed... 
uh, John Chisholm. Our board has uh, moved that endorsement. We did that a couple weeks ago, and and uh, it's based essentially on he has an extremely strong record, particularly on uh, criminal justice reform, uh, but also in particular he has really been on the vanguard of sort of leading and making sure that we have accountable, transparent government institution and structures, and we don't have cronyism. So he has been involved in sort of taking on uh, Governor Walker and some of the campaign finance issues. And because of that, this race has become uh, quite quite, uh, uh, quite big and popular, and fo- some folks are concerned because some, some uh, dark money, special interest money, big money seems to, from out of the county seems to be coming in uh, potentially into this race. And because of that, we wanted to have a special guest to talk a little bit more about some of the potential money that may be behind this race. And so we're really happy to have Mary Batari. She is a reporter with the Center for Media and Democracy, and she, she reports on dark money that uh, in, the, in, in campaigns here in the state of Wisconsin. Mary, we're really glad to have you. Thanks for having me. And so why don't you tell us a little bit more about what might be going on behind the scenes in this race uh, related to some of the dark money that we've seen uh, in, in our elections in this state. Well, we have a really interesting situation in Wisconsin. We have a very uh, large dark money group that's based in Wisconsin called Wisconsin Club for Growth. And they have been at the center of a big scandal involving Scott Walker. Um, And the scandal uh, has John Chisholm and a number of other prosecutors. uh, It started with five district attorneys and a judge deciding that there was probable cause to um, investigate whether dark money groups were illegally coordinating with the Friends of Scott Walker campaign. And it appears from things that have come out in the media that the allegation is that Scott Walker's chief uh, guru, campaign finance guru, R.J. Johnson, who works for Wisconsin Club for Growth, was running sort of both the Walker campaign and all the independent expenditure groups at the same time. And this has been always illegal at the federal level and always illegal at the state level. It's been settled law for many, many, many years. And many groups work really hard not to coordinate or even give the appearance of coordination. Um, So what is happening here is that same group, that same cluster of people, is very upset that John Chisholm even pursued this issue. And the same cluster of people, Wisconsin Club for Growth, particularly Eric O'Keefe, is very well financed. They have boatloads of lawyers. They had two or three teams of lawyers working, operating here in Wisconsin. Um, they have sued the district attorney and the investigators in court. They have sued the government accountability board in court for just simply doing these jo- their jobs and investigating whether or not um, uh, there was any law-breaking going on. So it's a very upset, vindictive group of people. And now John Chisholm is facing election in a very low turnout election. And it seems to be a moment of peril, perhaps, for Mr. Chisholm. So, Mary, thanks so much for joining us. Um, I think that perhaps since this is a Milwaukee race, that it would help our listeners a bit to just give a little background on who Verona Swanigan is. Um, she is a lovely African-American woman who is an attorney here in Milwaukee, but she has some personal baggage that she brings 
in terms of, you know, saying that she herself was uh, not competent to <laughs> try cases in court uh, for her clients and things. Um, but she has become a darling of the right wing radio uh, in a very similar way to David Clark. So it uh, in no way surprises me that the right wing money forces, the dark money, would back. And, and she has zero uh, criminal justice experience, yes. right? She, she she's Her claim to fame is defending slumlords, which is apparently the way she met Craig Peterson, uh, the money man here for the cluster of people that Mary just described, and where John Chisholm is an extremely experienced DA who actually, this is not that well-known in Milwaukee, has a really national reputation as one of the top reformers in the whole country of the criminal justice system uh, behind things like a drug court, a mental health court, uh, and uh, diver- and has greatly reduced the number of people incarcerated uh, within the power his office has, and so and and found alternatives to incarceration. So this is a, a very impressive district attorney facing basically a, retalit- a retaliatory takeout by big money to punish him, right, for actually investigating uh, crimes, political crimes, where there's probable cause to to, to believe that they uh, violate vastly violated, grossly violated campaign finance laws. In fact, to the point where I would say that if I have to tell you, because we do the we do independent expenditures at Citizen Action Wisconsin on our C4 side, I would assume I was going to jail if I'd done what they did. And we went out of our way for uh, over a decade to follow these laws. But they shredded them, and now they're trying to punish the prosecutor who dared investigate them. Yes, and so this election, like any other election, isn't... Uh just about two people. It's about the forces that are behind those two people. And Verona Swanigan um, is a um, sort of inexperienced lawyer who uh, who is surprisingly running for DA, but when we look behind her, when we pull back the curtain, we see these same forces. We see um, Craig Peterson, who's tied to Eric O'Keefe. We see these dark money groups, and we know how they operate. They operate by um, keep, keeping a very very, very, very low profile, and at the very end, dumping a boatload of money into a race. And in a city like Milwaukee, they could dump a boatload of money with one message, or um, uh, whites in the city, they can dump a boatload of money with a different message for blacks in the city, and they could overwhelm uh, uh, any candidate who doesn't have an endless uh, deep pockets. So, you know, people have to be on the lookout for these last-minute attack ads. They have to, they can't look at the bottom and see who they're from. They have to educate themselves in advance to know that um, these dark money groups don't say who they are. They don't say who they're, what their real agenda is. But in this race, if a bunch of money comes in at the end, it's going to be coming very likely from these enemies of John Chisholm from enemies of clean government, from enemies of open government, and from enemies of um, basically uh, democracy and uh, diversity of voices in politics. I think that's absolutely right, Mary. And then I would add that part of their game is to find stealth candidates that they try to make plausible. And so she presents herself as just an average urban lawyer uh, from the city, uh, and she came in and sat at the table where we're uh, taping the podcast and told us with a straight face 
that she had nothing to do with any of this dark money and that she just happened to know this Craig Peterson because she did some legal work for him and what she's supposed to do if someone wants to help her when she's trying to run for election. And she has no idea about these other issues or John Doe or anything else. So really trying to just play it that way, but then has been caught on tape at, uh, at fundraisers from uh, suburban right-wing politicians uh, saying something quite the opposite. Well, it's very sad to me when I see people letting themselves get used this way. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know what her own personal agenda is, but she needs to be aware that there's a vast, um, uh, you know, uh, establishment of, um, of dark money and anti-democracy forces that are uh, willing to help her get elected in order to pursue their own agenda. If John Chisholm loses this election, the state of Wisconsin will lose really um, one of its top cops that has even-handedly prosecuted Democrats and prosecuted Republicans and prosecuted um, all sorts of folks who have committed all sorts of crimes. Um, Michael McCann, who was former DA, said that Chisholm was like the least public, I mean, the least political person he knew um, in the DA's office, that he doesn't have a political agenda, that he has a justice agenda. And, uh, and so it would be a terrible tragedy for Wisconsin to lose um, this kind of straight shooter. Well, and I absolutely agree. Anybody who has met John Chisholm in person would would get that impression, you know, within about 10 seconds of talking to him. He's just an earnest, good guy. You know, I think the unfortunate thing that both you and Robert have pointed out here is that we're up against a very low turnout primary in the beginning of August, uh, where even a little bit of money is going to go a long way. So a lot of money in this election could go a very long way as well. And I really hope that folks will pay attention to what's going on um, and that they'll educate themselves on the other things on the ballot and then understand that there are implications there as well. Well, Mary, we really appreciate that you took the time to join us and talk about this uh, very important issue. Um, Before you go, if you don't mind, I know you're at the uh, Democratic National Convention. Love to get your thoughts. Uh, just any you know summary of where you think you know how, how you think it's going and uh, wh- where's it setting up, uh, particularly the Democrats as they go forward. Well, it's been a very busy and crazy convention with a lot of dramatic speeches and um, and tons and tons of people. Um, we've been looking at um, as reporters. We've been interested in the money here in at the Democratic convention, just like we were interested in the money at the RNC convention. Unfortunately, we do see too many corporations sponsoring events. Too many folks. Um, hobnobbing with politicians uh, uh, to advance their own agendas here. Um, but it has been, uh, it's been like night and day here at the, uh, uh, in Philadelphia because there's very little, um, there's, the RNC was hyper-militarized with police all over the place and Secret Service all over the place and riot gear trying to hold off those nasty protesters. And then here in Philadelphia, it's just very easygoing. You have lots of SEPTA police. You have tons of protesters. And so far, it's been uh, a much more free-flowing um, uh, event here. Well, we appreciate you taking the time again, and we appreciate the fact that you do such good work on this critical issue of dark money in our elections. It's 
you know, it's hard to have a functioning democracy if people don't have confidence in, um, in, 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 our, in our structures and in our, our politicians. So we really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having us. It's very important for people to pull back the curtain and see who is operating behind candidates and causes. And we want to encourage our listeners to check out the Center for Media and Democracy's PR Watch and, and all of the stuff on their site. They have an excellent website you can find at prwatch.org. Uh, thanks again, Mary. All right. So we have one final topic that we want to talk about, and that is, uh, you know, we haven't had a lot of local, uh, a lot of state issues to talk about since the legislature is all out there trying to get themselves reelected. Uh, but we, we did see a little flare up this week around a budget issue around transportation. Um, this week, the Legislative Fiscal Bureau uh, came out with a report that suggested our transportation budget is essentially about a billion dollars uh, in shortfall. And uh, this res- was responded by John Nigren, Representative Nigren, who's a Republican, I think everybody knows, said that the state really needs to consider increasing uh, taxes or fees in order to make this up, which has caused a fissure within the Republicans. Governor Walker, of course very clear about not wanting to do any taxes and a lot of other conservatives. Robert, not only does this show this fissure, but it tells us more. I want to get your thoughts on this. Well, Walker's last budget was a house of cards. We know that. Uh, Irrespective of whether you think this is the top priority, building more roads or not, you can see I probably don't, but irrespective of that, uh, this will get, and this is a split from Walker, who is still following his Grover Norquist axed no no tax pledge, that if you want things, you might need to have a way to pay for them. Crazy. It's really a simple concept that uh, the conservative movement, uh, starting with Reagan, decided to ignore when they ran up the first historic deficits. Uh, the second big historic deficits were under Bush. Same idea. And so guess what? If you want to pave the state, you need a source of payment. But, but I'm, I'm quoting our governor here. Raising taxes and fees is not the answer because under our administration, we will keep it a priority to live within the means of the hardworking people of Wisconsin. And by reducing those means dramatically, by lowering wages right. and giving and, and riddling the tax code with uh, with loopholes and exemptions for our corporate friends. Uh, listen, I just want to be clear that I think that our friends, the road builders, will make out in the end of this just fine. Well, look, it's I mean, right? We got to cut the university some more, right? Obviously, yeah. I'm glad to see this fissure right within the Republicans. It's stunning that it's over roads. That that is finally what got someone to say, "Hey, we might need a little more revenue around here." you know, as opposed to schools, all the things you mentioned. But nonetheless, we will follow this because it, it's, it, Robert's talked about this. This next budget's going to be a mess, right? Um, Robert believes it's going to force uh, Governor Walker or whoever to uh, take uh, the Medicaid money. On his own to, terms while declaring victory. While declaring he victory. Never for Obamacare. So this only It'll shows us fault. that the budget's headed for a much more uh, uh, interesting showdown uh, next cycle. Again, why elections matter um so with that we need to wrap up this podcast we want to let everybody know we uh made a number of state legislative endorsements we'll have a link on our uh, podcast site to those endorsements so busy weekend this might be one of the busiest weekends of the summer jorna what are you doing i think i know one River West 24, 24-hour bike race. There you go, Robert. Robert is on our team, Big Labor on Wheels. I assume you're showing up again this year, Robert? 
Well, you'd be in trouble <laughs> if I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> River West 24, then the beginning of the People's Action First Ever Delegates Assembly, our new national network we helped create here in Milwaukee. Yeah, it's very exciting. And uh, I'll be doing all of those, both the River West 24. I actually have to take my son to a motorcycle race Saturday night. And then, as Robert said, we have our National Delegates Convention. So, everybody, get out. Enjoy the summer. I think we're supposed to have a much better weekend because these things don't last. want to thank Brian Wildridge, producer, makes a podcast happen every week. And we'll see everybody. And, of course, Mary Batari for joining us uh, this week on the podcast. We'll see you all next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.